jump in. Kingdom over everything. So as we've been saying the last few weeks, we've been talking about kingdom. What is the kingdom? What does it look like? We have these instructions from Jesus himself that says that we are to seek first the kingdom above everything else. What does that mean? What does that look like? When, he's, we, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, how do we pray? He said, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven. I don't know if he said who art. That's weird. But our Father in heaven. Old English. That's how Jesus talked. Um, <laughs> Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this kingdom dynamic, what is this, what is this kingdom? And, and we know and we, as we've unpacked this the last few weeks that Jesus was coming and demonstrating a kingdom that belonged to him. Anywhere where the king is on the throne, that is the kingdom. And so if Jesus is seated on the throne of heaven, which he is, then everything is placed under his feet, which it has been, then the king is in place and the kingdom is now. But the kingdom that Jesus came to establish was entirely different than the kingdoms that we are familiar with. And we know that as we've looked at these the last couple of weeks in John 3, that Jesus was talking with Nicodemus and he said, Nicodemus, I tell you, Nicodemus was just a highly respected teacher of the law and of the old covenant religion. And Jesus said to him, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again from above or reborn from a different source. And that's John 3. We've been looking at that passage of scripture the last couple weeks. And Nicodemus asked him some questions. and He said, how in the world can that happen? And Jesus said, I tell you this, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. So you have to be born again, as Jesus said, in the spirit to be able to see and partake in this spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual reality. And this spiritual kingdom that Jesus came to establish supersedes every kingdom of this life that went before him and has come or has come after him. But what does this mean for us today? And that's what I want to talk about this morning as this is the third part of this series. What does it mean for us today? What's the practical application of this kingdom teaching that we've been in? And so if we've bowed our knees, if we have pledged allegiance to the king, if we have surrendered our lives and our relationship with him, we are spiritually reborn by the indwelling of God's spirit. And because of that, we can partake in and we can participate with the kingdom. And the kingdom expanding means that people are coming into the saving knowledge of relationship with Jesus to know the truth and the life of who he is and that we would then, as kingdom people, that we would live his way of loving and laying down our lives for others and overcoming evil that absolutely exists with good. That's what Romans 12, 21 tells us. So in week one, we said this, all of this kingdom talk doesn't mean much if we aren't concerned with first the kingdom inside of us. Who is on the throne of our heart? Who is on the throne of our mind? Who is on the throne of our actions, our behaviors, and our body? It doesn't matter what the kingdom looks like out there if we don't get the kingdom right in here. And what does the kingdom look like? It is us on our knees saying, Jesus, you are Lord of my heart, my mind, and my life. We talked about how the kingdom doesn't look like us invading culture and conquering the seven spheres of society and influence. And the kingdom first and always looks like Jesus invading our hearts and us surrendering to his kingship and his kingdom and confessing you are Lord. Philippians 2, 8, 11. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. So we asked in week one, we asked the question, who is king of your heart? And we spent time on our knees in worship and in communion, confessing Jesus as Lord. That was our response to the kingdom. Not how is the kingdom going to invade culture, but how is his kingdom going to invade my life? And I love that we are able to, and I think it just is one of the dynamics of this room that I love, is that we can't really call people to the altar and say, come to the altar and confess Jesus as, as Lord and King of your life. But instead, we get to go into worship and we get to go to the communion table. How cool is it that instead of an altar, we go to the table with Jesus in response and in communion and to the call of kingship. And and I just love that that dynamic of this room is an invitation to go to the communion table. And then in week two, we said, last week, we talked about how we don't really want his kingdom. Jesus came to establish the reign of God and his kingdom always looks like and loves like and serves like Jesus. And we participate in that kingdom, in his kingdom to the extent and only to the extent that we look like Jesus. And that's why I said, and maybe some of you looked at me sideways, that's why I said that we don't really want this kingdom because it's backwards, it's upside down, it's irrational. We, it, is, it is impossible for us to figure out how to live out this kingdom that Jesus came to demonstrate because it is so contrary to who we are and to what we are used to. It looks totally different than the kingdoms of this earth. It looks totally different than the kingdom that we have been raised in. And it fundamentally opposes your desires and my desires. And that's why I say, you don't really want this kingdom. This kingdom, we love others selflessly. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to forgive others as Jesus forgave us. We're called to treat others as we want to be treated. We're called to consider others ahead of ourselves. We're called to live at peace with everyone We're called to stop seeking power over those around us. This is a kingdom that is different than what I want and what you want. And so we agreed, maybe we agreed. I thought, I felt like we agreed that we didn't want this kingdom. And because we can admit that we don't ultimately want this kingdom, not even in our home, not even in our relationships, let alone in the world around us, Man, if we can just admit that, then Jesus' message, his original message, still resonates and holds power for us today. When Jesus came, and what did he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here, it is at hand. He was calling us to change our hearts and our minds, our perspectives, and say, not the kingdom of me, but your kingdom. And how do we access it other than admitting that we don't want it, and it is contrary to who we are and what we desire, and then we say yes to Jesus' invitation to repent and look at a completely different way of life that we can only find in him and through him. And so Jesus's message resonates today in Matthew 4, 17. Repent, turn from your kingdom to my kingdom. It is a supernatural kingdom that we behold spiritually through repentance and bowing our knees to Jesus every time that we want our kingdom and we want our way.
That's what Jesus demonstrated for us in Matthew 26 as he was going to the cross and he went away to pray and he was wrestling with his father and he fell face down on the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. That is the heart of Jesus's demonstration and message of repentance. I want something different than what your kingdom wants. And the only way that I can stay in alignment with your kingdom is to be on my knees saying, not my way, but your way. And that's what Jesus has always preached and demonstrated all the way to laying down his life for us. And so we asked the question last week, which kingdom do we really want? Which kingdom are we valuing? And which kingdom are we seeking after? Which kingdom are we protecting and propping up? And which kingdom are we allowed, are we allowing to shatter and fall apart so that his can come? And so this week, we're just gonna finish talking about kingdom over everything and what that looks like practically. How are we to do this? We are to treasure his kingdom. Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, is like the treasure, a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he hid and in joy, he goes and he sells all that he has to buy the field. Why? To acquire the treasure. Did he go and forlornly like, oh man, this is my religious response. I've got to go sell everything that I have. No, we are called in, in this simple story that Jesus told, we are called to have such a perspective on the value and the worth of him and of his kingdom that when we discover it in places coming alive in our hearts and our lives and, 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 and in our families and our marriages in, in ourselves and in the things that are going on around us, that we would take great joy when we discover those things and that we would say, God, whatever it is, I let it go so that I can acquire and be a part of what it is that you're doing as your kingdom breaks out, as your kingdom expands. It's so easy to get pulled into the cares of this world, which is why we must treasure his kingdom. As Mark 4, as Jesus told us the story of the seed being scattered on the roads and, and as the gospel and the kingdom, and, and it said, all too quickly, the message is crowded out. The seeds that have landed in our lives are crowded out by the worries of this life, by the allure of wealth, and by the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. I think that I can find myself very easily in that passage of scripture of Jesus putting seeds in my life, and it's so easy for the things that he is doing, for the buds of his kingdom to be crowded out quickly by the concerns of this life and by the focuses on wealth and by the, all the different things that are going on, but we are called to have joy in the way that we give up whatever we have to, to pursue his kingdom. That with joy, you would lay down whatever it is that he's asking you to lay down to say, I want your kingdom more than this. And we have to understand, to be able to treasure it, we have to understand that we are not of this world. John 18, 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Could you imagine if Jesus had any sort of authority and he found out he was going to be arrested and he called on his followers to stop it? Sorry, that was a little too close to home, wasn't it? Oh, come on, people. It's like the sermon writes itself. Come on, right out of the, right out of the headlines. You all are too serious. Good night. 
the way that Jesus expressed, good, good Lord, the way that Jesus expressed, are some of you totally confused by what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you're totally confused by what I'm talking about. Raise your hand if you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, thank you. Sorry, I thought it was a good joke. Let's get back to the serious stuff. I'm sorry. There it is. There it is. If we can't laugh at ourselves, we'll only be laughed at by the world. Okay, so... Jesus said the way that he demonstrated that his kingdom is not of this world is that he said, if my kingdom were about what is happening here and now and about a political overthrow, I would ask my followers to fight for me. But he said, that is not my kingdom. I have a different and entirely different kingdom. We don't gain it by fighting here on earth. We gain it by laying our lives down in a different realm and in a different way. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, Philippians 3.20. When we become citizens of his kingdom, this life and this world is no longer our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. We reject living with a perspective that puts the temporary over the eternal. Matthew 6.33, to go back to the original instructions that we launched off of in this series. Do not worry about the temporary things, but seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, Jesus said. Then how should we live? And does it even matter how we live because we are citizens not of this earth, but we are citizens of heaven? Should we just pull out of everything that's going on here and wash our hands of it and not worry about it because this is not our home and heaven is our home where Jesus is seated on the throne? How then should we respond to the reality that we are not citizens of this earth, we are citizens of heaven, and yet we live here in the midst of this kingdom and the midst of this culture. We have to embrace the reality that our lifestyle does matter. What we do does matter. Look at Matthew 6, He equated and he, he compared seeking first the kingdom with seeking what? His righteousness. To be right-hearted and in right relationship with God. Galatians 5.19, Paul says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Man, Paul, you did a good job of getting it all in there. I love how he's like those big ones. They're like, yeah, 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 envy. Oh, did you just say envy and orgies together? Because I'm not going to those things, but I've got a lot of envy in my heart. And you just kind of made those the same thing. I feel like they're different. I'm sorry, Paul. I, I warn you, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the beauty of what Paul is teaching us is that the things that we do now in this temporal life impact our ability to inherit the kingdom. And it is not a future kingdom. He's not saying, oh, if you do these things, you're not gonna make it past the pearly gates. He's saying, if you do these things, if you live this way, if you sear off your conscience, 
If you say no to the prompting and the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon your life, if you are saying, I don't want what you want, I want what makes me feel good, if you live that way, you are not going to, as Jesus taught Nicodemus, see in the spiritual realm to be able to comprehend what the king is doing and what his kingdom is doing. Because you are living in a way that is contrary to what the spirit of the living God is wanting to do in you, through you, and around you. And we have taken this verse, as you know, we've taken this verse and we've used it to beat people over the head and say, you're not going to make it into heaven because that one time you did this or you did that or this has happened or this has happened instead of it being like, if you're pursuing Jesus, he is the redeemer of every bit of your story. But to come into relationship with Jesus and choose to willfully continue to live in a way that says, I don't want your kingdom, I want my kingdom, would make it so that you are not able to inherit the present kingdom reality of Jesus who is right now on the throne, not someday on the throne. And we want to live with that king perspective, with our knees kneeled before him and our hearts bowed before him and having him as king and Lord over every area of our life. Galatians 6, Paul, who was saying that in Galatians 5, Paul goes on to say, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God You cannot mock God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. This is what we're talking about. Is that we will always harvest what we plant. Understand this passage where Paul steps into something that I think is radical. He actually said that the justice of God is that he allows what you plant to grow. Get it? The justice of God is that he allows what you plant to grow. And so if you choose to sow into the spiritual realm, into the spiritual health, into the spiritual life, into your connection and the kingdom and the king, you will harvest spiritual life in return, an eternal reality, an eternal realm, a realm that exists around us and in us right now today that is overlaid across this physical reality. And if I sow into the spiritual, I will live in the spiritual. I will live out that eternal reality. But if I choose, again, to just sow into the flesh and what my kingdom wants and what I desire and what makes me feel good and what pleases me and props me up and makes me successful and makes me be able to have the things that I need so I don't have to deal with fear or whatever it is, if that's the kingdom that I sow into, those things will become fruitful in my life, except that the fruit of those is rotten and it pulls me away from the spiritual reality of Jesus the King. So Jesus' instructions are these, Matthew 6 and Mark 3. No one can serve two masters. We talked about this last week. Either you will hate one or you will love the other. Oh, either you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. It is the temporary versus the eternal. It is the mixing of kingdoms. Two things that affect the vibrancy of so many Christians today is that we mix covenants in our understanding of Scripture and that we mix kingdom in our understanding of the application of it out in the world and in the depths of our heart. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If I am living for the kingdom of me and the kingdom of Jesus simultaneously, the kingdom of me will always win out 
in this life. So that's why the kingdom looks like us on our knees, surrendering to Jesus. But you said that we're to be in the world, not of the world. And this world is not our kingdom and we're not citizens of this world. As Jesus taught in John 17, he's praying to his father, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. You may have heard it said in Christianity and Christendom, whatever we, we call this. Churchlandia, isn't that what we called it? Yeah. <laughs> you have heard it said in the world, but not of the world. And I think that's a slogan or a phrase that we take from this scripture where Jesus said, I've given them your word. The world has hated me or hated them because they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. And so we say the best place that we can be, even though we're in this world, is not of this world. Why are we to live in and not of? Is there a reason or is not being of this world the whole point? Like is our righteousness and our cleanliness from this world, our distance from this world, is that the whole point? Oh, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. <laughs> she just booed me. <laughs> no, why are we to live this way, in, not of? Well, Jesus goes on in this passage of scripture. John 17, continuing his, his discussion. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. What? A cosmic escape plan? <laughs> but Jesus, don't you know how bad it's getting down here? It's like the button on our elevator is broken. We're just, just stand in the elevator and keep, keep hitting the button. I'm sure it'll work. <laughs> I do not ask that you take them out of the world, says Jesus in praying for you and his followers, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Set them apart, make them holy, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. What is the word of God? Jesus. And you sent me into, as you sent me into the world. So, I'm getting a little older. I wasn't sure if that was me or if that was the electricity. I was like, fading out here for a second. I'm okay. Let's re reboot. Oh, was that, did everybody experience that? Okay. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So we notice Jesus' reference of his, to his disciples being not of the world. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, verse 14. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So we have established this. We are citizens of heaven. We are not of this world, not of the world. Let's all agree that it's clear that Jesus does not want his followers to be of the world. He says this himself. He says that he himself is not of the world and his disciples are not of the world. 
So any places, just to give some things I jotted down, any places that my comfort is king, I'm of the world. Any place that my schedule is king, that is of the world. Any place that my appetite is king, that is of the world. Any place that my finances are king, that is of the world. Any place that my sexuality is king, that is of the world. Any place that my preferences are king, that is of the world. Any places that my fear is king, that is living of this world. And if I live that way, I will consistently see less and less and less of this kingdom that I am positioned in Christ as a son and daughter and co-heir with him to inherit. And don't hear me saying that we are earning anything. There is a difference between posturing our life correctly under the conviction of the Spirit and actually trying to earn things through religiosity. That is not what we are talking about. But positioning ourselves under the conviction and the position of the Holy Spirit means a surrendered life that is pliable to him and follows his instructions and says, as I've said before, not the kingdom of me, but your kingdom come, your will be done. But notice that for Jesus, not of the world isn't the destination that these verses are put, being put as the starting place. For too many, or sorry, notice this, that this isn't the destination. It is the starting place, not of this world. For too many, that has become the goal, that we would live separate so separate and so distinct that we are just waiting for Jesus to come and get us because we have become so righteous. But I want you to hear this. Not of this world is not where things are moving toward. It's where you are sent from. It's where you are going back into the world from. He is not of the world. And he begins by saying this followers are not of the world, but he's going somewhere with this thought. And that is where verse 18 comes in. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And then in verse 15, this prayer, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus is not asking his father for his disciples to be taken out of the world, but he is praying for them as they are sent into the world. Religion, as we know it, and many of us have experienced it, spends too many Sundays bashing culture or or escaping from culture and saying, they hate us because we're aligned with Jesus. And we, instead of, and so we sit in this place and we can become cloistered together of like, we're not of this world, they hate us out there, instead of actually spending this time. And that's confirming that we are in that mindset, but we should be spending this time having our hearts broken for this world and for this culture so that we can be sent into it instead of trying to live a religion that escapes from it. And so we are trying to live in and be not of so that we can be sent to this world. Jesus' followers have not only died to the world, but they have been raised to new life, and then they are sent back to free those in the darkness. We have been rescued from the darkness and given the light, not merely to flee the darkness, but to guide our steps as we go back in and rescue and reconcile others. We have been sanctified, not to be so set apart, so that we are no good for those who are hurting. We have been sanctified so that there is a distinctness about our life. Like Moses said, as he walked into the promised land, I will not go unless your presence goes with me. That we are sent to carry his presence as reconcilers, ambassadors, and as kingdom citizens. So let's revise this popular phrase, in the world, 
and not of the world. And say this, not of the world, but sent to the world. We are kingdom citizens and we are to carry these tangible demonstrations of the reconciliatory power of Jesus on the cross who laid down his life, but also rose again and has ascended and sat, is seated on the throne. And in being seated on the throne, he has poured out his spirit upon us so that as spirit-filled people, we are distinct and sanctified and empowered as ambassadors to go back and carry the light into the darkness, to go back to sons and daughters who are estranged from the Father and say, you have a Father who loves you and you have a home. And that is the message that we get to carry when we understand that, yes, we are not to be of this world, but we absolutely are to be sent to this world. Let's no longer posture our lives waiting for Jesus to rescue us from this world, but let's posture our lives at his feet as king and say, fill us with your grace and mercy that we carry it to others because his kingdom isn't shrinking. His kingdom isn't shrinking. His kingdom isn't shrinking, it's expanding. It is an unshakable kingdom that will shake the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of your life. And as those things are shaken, we have a a responsibility to recognize that the reason that that can be shaken is because it is not eternal. The only kingdom that is eternal is Jesus' kingdom. And if everything else shakes, it is an opportunity for us to have sight of what truly is tied and founded upon him. It shows us that everything that crumbles is temporary. Hebrews eleven twenty nine. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptance. Sorry, I was trying to check the clock and read at the same time and I screwed them both up. <laughs> let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe because he who began a good work, Philippians 1, 6 says, he is faithful to see it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. His kingdom is not shrinking. His kingdom is expanding. And the king is faithful to complete the work that he started in you and through you and around you. The kingdom that you are a part of, the spiritual kingdom that you're a part of where Jesus is king is greater than any kingdom in your heart, in your mind, or any kingdom that is around us right now. These kingdoms will shake from time to time and they will crumble from time to time. Why? Because they are not founded on Jesus the King. Sometimes the things in my life that I've built will shake and they will crumble from time to time. Why? Because they are not fully founded on Jesus. And when they do, should I grab the rubble and try to hold it together and pretend I'm fine, this is fine. (laughs) When your life And the kingdoms that you have built, the kingdom of me that you have built and spent so much time propping up and putting on display and making sure looks acceptable to everybody around you and your marriage is just so and your finances are just so and your appetites are just so or whatever it is, when those things get hit and they shake and they crumble, would fall to your knees and you would say, that was because that was the kingdom of me and not the kingdom of Jesus. He is faithful to complete what he has started. 
And as his kingdom expands, it will shake you, it will shake me, and it will shake this earth. And we will see the victorious kingdom above all of this. But what does it look like practically? We have to treasure this kingdom. We have to be willing to let go and enjoy to give up anything that God is asking us to get up, give up to be able to see and participate in this kingdom. We have to be willing to understand that our lifestyle does in fact matter to how well or how deeply we are able to walk in the fullness of the inheritance of this kingdom that is both future and now. And we have to come to this place where we are saying, I am of this world, not of this world, but I am sent to this world as an ambassador of the different kingdom for people who need to hear the reconciliation message of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Um, so is the worship team around? I mean, I know you're around. I know you're around. Worship team, come on up. <laughs> They're in the back like, yeah, really? You want me to do three minutes of worship? Thanks, Ryan. So cool. I tease. These, 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 these mornings are just getting so, so deep and so rich. And so just figuring out a time a time frame to be able to have space for all the things that we believe God wants to do in these, in these moments. And so as you can tell, we're, we're kind of stretching them out a little bit and you'll get used to it. And then we'll be like, hey, we get done at 1145. And that's okay. Here's what I want to do. I want us to have this time of worship. I want to ask that God's spirit would come and would minister to us. I want to have a time even of repentance where you could say, you know what, there are some places in my life where I haven't stewarded parts of my life in a way that is setting me up to be one who inherits the kingdom, to experience the fullness of the kingdom right now. And as those places are brought to the forefront of your mind, that you would just bring them before the Lord and allow him to heal you, allow him to restore you, Allow him to recalibrate the values and the things that are in your life. Allowing him also to search our hearts and make sure that we haven't begun to live as escapists, separating ourselves more and more from culture, but really saying, you sanctify me by your presence so that I can go into the darkness and not fear it. You sanctify me by your presence so that I can go into the quote unquote sinful areas of our culture and not fear that I'm gonna catch it as if it's a cold. You sanctify me and you empower me and you fill me so that I can go wherever you need me to go because I am not of this world, but I am sent into this world because that is what your kingdom is doing. And so as we take these next few minutes, my invitation to you is that the communion table, the completed work of Jesus is available to you. At around 11.30, we usually are wrapped up. So if you need to go get kids or middle schoolers or whatever it is, that's absolutely fine. But if you would like to stay in here and spend some time, the worship team is gonna be up here and just holding space for us to be able to respond to Jesus, to have communion, to worship together, to declare again, not just with our mouths, but to declare again with our hearts that Jesus is King, He is Lord, and that we are set apart for Him. And so take these next few minutes, and if you do need to go, we bless you, we honor you, and we thank you for being here.